Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Andrea Gazetta. Yay! It's weird when it's just <laughs> me. It just sounds it's like I'm so cheering weird. for my girlfriend. Aww. Oh. Well, we just got back from our trip to Kansas City, Missouri. Panic. It was really fun. Uh, we recorded the live show. Sorry about the delay. It took a little bit longer than we expected to get the audio. Um, I've also tried my best to clean the audio up, but it is a live show, and we promised if we're going to do this in the future that we will professionally record our live shows and not just get the sound off of the feed. It's a great episode. Uh, I'm very excited about it. And uh, just for those of you listening at home, if you want to look at the slides that we were playing as we were doing the live show, uh, you can find all of those as our most recent post on Instagram, unless you're listening to this in the future, uh, in which case, just look for our logo on a red background on Instagram, which is at Colt Podcast. Uh, you can also find some of those photos on our Facebook group, which you can find by going to Colt Podcast show.com and all the way at the bottom there is a link to the facebook group um yeah i'm really excited about this i uh i had a great time it's really good to be back home and uh man boy are my arms tired is that has anyone done that joke before no it's a brand new joke brand new sentence treading new territory (laughs) all right without any further ado Ado, without any further ado, please <laughs> enjoy the show. Hello. Hello. We need Paige to what set the happened? tone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Please welcome Cult Podcast. They survived the snow. This was the most egotistical thing we ever did. <laughs> we were like, Tim, you come out here, you introduce us, and then we'll... And I'll die of my own snow boots. It's fine. <laughs> we'll saunter out. Yeah, the worst part is there's no sound backstage, so we can't hear, so we have to just peek out the door like idiots. <laughs> is it our time yet? Is it, is it us? Is it now? <laughs> Paige, you want to start us off? Sure, sure, sure. Thank you for tuning in to Cole Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! Yay! And it's the live show! Yes! Yes! Oh, man. Let's start it out. So we are a podcast about cults. Duh. If you didn't know that, why are you here? Honestly. For the past two years, we've covered all kinds of wild groups, from the Japanese death cult Om Shinrikyo to the absolutely insane beliefs of the sovereign citizens. But for our second time here at Panic Fest in beautiful Kansas City, we wanted to talk about a group so wildly goofy and fucking absurd that you're going to be surprised that not everybody has heard this story before. And this one has it all. I'm talking top-tier griffs, weird magical rituals, and messages straight from the heavens themselves. Plus candy bars. (laughs) We'll get to it. Buckle up, Panic Fest. Today, we're covering the Black Burn Cult. (laughs) Our story, I just realized that the air horns are funnier in person. (laughs) I also, I heard, like... Oh, which means yeah. some of you are prepared for the level of fuckery that's about to happen. <laughs> or they're, they're upset because they realize you can't just skip a live show. Like, oh, <laughs> Our sources today are... Do you have 20 minutes? Great. Uh, so our story starts with May Otis, who was born on August 2nd, 1881, in Storm Lake, Iowa, to William and Jenny Otis. And for the first few years of her life, things were pretty relatively normal and happy. But when she was four years old, her father, William, suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. Now, there's not a ton of information about Mr. Otis's death. In fact, all we could find was a lawsuit that Jenny filed against the Denver City Railroad Company right after her husband's death. And did that have something to do with his passing? We don't know. But it would help explain uh, this mugshot that we found from the same time. There it is. There it is. It took a second, but it was this, <laughs> So I kind of planned my bits 20 minutes out. <laughs> I'll 
Also, keep in mind that like this is the closest we'll ever get to skin car in real life. <laughs> it's got the eyes and the grill. <laughs> Just think about that. <laughs> I never thought about it before, but Thomas the Tank Engine is just taking bugs to the face all day. All day. <laughs> That's why he's so murderous. <laughs> anyway, Jenny Otis didn't let her husband's mysterious death keep her down. In just over a year's time, she had met, married, and moved in with a new man named Edgar Holt. And in 1895, when May was 14, the happy little family moved on to a farm in Minnesota, where... Uh, you betcha. It's, it's Minnepot. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Where they were back to living a normal, happy life away from all of those evil, murderous trains. <laughs> and when she was 16, she met and married her own strapping young lad, a Canadian named Augustus Wyland. Although their relationship wouldn't last long either. In 1899, at the age of 18, May realized that she was pregnant with Augustus's baby and that she no longer wanted to be with him. Uh, again, there's not a ton of concrete details on why the relationship didn't work out, but I figure it's pretty hard to stay with somebody when all they want to eat is poutine for every meal and all they want to talk about is hockey. Disagree. That sounds wonderful. I know. I said when all they want to eat is poutine and I watched all your faces go, what are you fucking You're like, are you kidding? No, poutine's awesome. This sounds... I gladly die a thousand pounds in a, like, where you have to burn the house down around me? Because <laughs> <laughs> of poutine. <laughs> Wiling out, poutine yeah. edition. Wiling out, poutine stuff. We can't put out the fire, the gravy is making it burn faster. <laughs> Would you say that the fire? Would you say that because she was underage and he was Canadian that she's a poutine mom? <laughs> 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 so normally we have a chance to cut around so no I'm kidding <laughs> according to May Augustus was a horrible gambler and it's likely that she meant that he had a terrible gambling problem which is not funny at all but I like to think that she actually meant that he was just really bad at gambling which is a little bit funny if you think about it you know just playing roulette being like put it all on orange that's <laughs> Maybe it was just colorblind. <laughs> it's all orange to me. Red, black, orange, all of it. He's just like, hit me. And they're like, this is a domino, sir. You have to leave. Yeah. It's a domino's pizza. We're not playing any games here. We can hit you, but then we have to call HR. So May took off on her own and made it all the way to South Dakota before giving birth to her first and only child, Ruth Wiley. However, she very quickly realized that there was no way that she could take care of Ruth all on her own, so she decided to hoof it back to Minnesota uh, to ask her parents for help. And when she got there, pretty predictably, her parents wanted to know what happened to Augustus. And May gave them an answer that was so buck wild that it was either completely made up or just 1800s true. You know what I mean? You know how like back in the day somebody would just go missing and their family was like, they became king of the bears! They belong to the forest now! He went to go work in that factory and lost his foot. Like, that's equally plausible. He ate so much poutine, we had to burn the house down. <laughs> his name was Paige. Honor his memory. I'll never forget those porcupines. According to May, a mysterious man showed up at her place in South Dakota right after she gave birth to Ruth. And he had a letter that informed her that her uh, husband, Augustus, had been killed in a mining accident, uh, which is, I feel like, kind of possible, because I can just imagine him getting crushed by, like, an Indiana Jones-sized boulder, and he's just like, I thought this was how you play roulette. Ah! Plus, she was a teenager, so we know he liked minors. <laughs> oh! Also, she's just like telling her parents all of this shit, and she's just like, yeah, right, mom? You know how husbands just be dying and shit? And her mom's just like, yeah. <laughs> so May's mom and stepdad agreed to take Ruth in and raise her as her own. So for most of Ruth's early life, she only knew May as her older sister. 
and the distance between them would grow literally when the unconventional family moved to southern Washington for a fresh start. I'm assuming because it's pretty hard to convince an entire town of people that a two-year-old baby just came out of you. Uh, I will say it's hard to keep a baby Ruth in the house alive. <laughs> They're delicious. <laughs> for two years? It's probably not good anymore. <laughs> However, in the Otis family, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. May stayed behind in Minnesota, where in just over a year, she had met, married, and moved in with a man from Minneapolis named Rudolph A. Schultz. Now, we really tried very hard to find a picture of Rudolph A. Schultz, and we kept coming up short, so instead, we commissioned this artist's rendering of what he may have looked like. We worked so hard on that. You said, I spent two hours doing that. Took to find clip art that fit his head. <laughs> <laughs> so this was our hardest render. I suppose we spent most of the budget for the show on this, by the yeah. way. And at first, things were pretty good for the new couple. Uh, Rudolph worked as a waiter, and apparently, he made enough to buy May anything she wanted. Although personally, I suspect that he was moonlighting as a seasonal delivery man. <laughs> so. May even convinced Rudolph to move to her, to move with her to Portland, Oregon. She pitched it as a change of scenery, which was cool for Rudolph, since he said the snow was his natural habitat. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But secretly, May just wanted to move closer to her sister daughter in Washington. That's a fun sentence to type out, because every time you do, Google's like, "Hey, did you mean sister's daughter?" And I was like, <laughs> "No." no. <laughs> Although, only a few years later, in 1908, May decided again that she was done with her husband. But Rudolph was so in love with her that she realized just running away to South Dakota wasn't going to cut it. So this time, she needed to come up with a more clever way to get out of the marriage. So one day, she told Rudolph that she found evidence that her first husband was still alive, which technically meant that she was still married to him, which made her and Rudolph's marriage illegal and meant that they had to annul their marriage. Or just keep with it because illegality makes it more exciting. Ooh, oh, dangerous. <laughs> forbidden fruits. <laughs> He's got the forbidden apple right there on his nose. So Rudolph was absolutely devastated. He tried anything and everything to convince May to stay with him, but May tried anything and everything to get away from him. I mean, she tried stuff like filing a lawsuit against her first husband, Augustus, claiming that he had faked his own death to get out of fatherhood. <laughs> then she claimed that Augustus actually had died some in some time in Alaska, uh, and that had, she, he had left her a $100,000 inheritance, with the only stipulation being that she could never marry again. Yeah. She really wanted to get rid of this reindeer husband. <laughs> and it's really hard to escape someone that can fly. <laughs> After about half a dozen other Looney Tunes style schemes, uh, she successfully split from Rudolph, which is why he is now known in history as Rudolph the Red For Red Faced Divorcee. Now that is the last joke, uh, that is the last Rudolph joke. It's very on the red dose. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Rudolph, the real reason May wanted to split up so bad had less to do with her first husband. Oh, I was going to say Michael and Jackson impersonation career. Oh, because she has one glove. <laughs> I think it's interesting because Michael Jackson's glove was shiny. This is more of like a Luke Skywalker situation. Oh, <laughs> she's, yeah. She's got the one glove cut off. I'm just picturing a steampunk hand under it. <laughs> <laughs> Steamy blowjobs. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Imagine a hand job with a cheese grater on your hand. Oh, no. That's what a metallic hand hand job would be. I don't know. She's catching men somehow. These husbands do not want to get away. It might know. be the grip strength. Maybe. <laughs> Are you guys talking about the devil shredded pork? <laughs> I'm talking about Satan's handshake. <laughs> So it, it had more to do with her new lover. See, May had already started shacking up with a rich, upper-class Portland socialite named Fremont Everett, or Monty to his friends. 
Excellent. <laughs> Monty was perfect for Meg. He had enough money to buy her anything that she wanted. He was the part owner of a local lumber company, which meant that he didn't actually have to do any work. And he was absolutely smitten with her. The only problem was that he was still married. <laughs> to a lady reindeer. Who would have thought? <laughs> no, just a lady. Uh, but like any good, hold on, really quick. Do you think? Do you think after the divorce, Rudolph got blitzed? No, but I think he was mad that she wouldn't let him play reindeer games. <laughs> Blitzard was a was a was a sh shooting a miss on my end. You came up against the Christmas champ, and <laughs> that's what happens. But like any good improviser, May turned a negative into a positive. She enjoyed living the finer life as Monty's mistress. But she also made sure to save all of the letters that he sent her and to take a bunch of unsavory photos of the two of them together. Bow, bow. I do want to bring up that this is a time where photography required you to stay still for four minutes. <laughs> which, which means that ostensibly she was she was trying to catch candid photos of him and was like, hey, Monty, look. And he was like, stop it. <laughs> also, most people didn't have their own camera. Yeah, that's right. Which means you have to go into a studio specifically to take unsavory photos where you have to freeze in suggestive positions. Yeah, because back then only like five people had cameras and only four of them were perverts. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sexy freeze tag with the guy down the street. <laughs> no, no, I, I touched you. You have to right where you are. You have to freeze right there. No, I touched you. Not like that. Not like that. I touched you. <laughs> so May used these salacious items to blackmail Monty out of a bulk of his fortune. And when he was tapped out, she decided to go back home to see her mom, stepdad, and sister daughter. Uh, to see what they were up to before she planned out her next grip. Now, when I was writing this for a second, I was like, wow, she's kind of fucked up. But then I thought about it, and I was like, this is just the plot of any Cardi B song. This shit is <laughs> She's out here on her hustle. You gotta respect it. They're fucking Luke, Luke Skywalker hands. <laughs> Given the end of this called Bloody Shoes makes a lot of sense. Ouchies. Oh, I <laughs> know, just preparing. <laughs> she ever rose her way to the top. Oh, pretty good. But what she found when she reached Washington was that her stepdad had passed away, and her mom had since met, married, and moved in with her new boo named Walter Blackburn and his son, Ward Blackburn. Which means that somebody literally named their son Ward, which as far as I understand means just like a thing I have to fucking take care of now. Creativity. And, yeah, there you go. That's why my original name was gonna be, oh fuck, here we go, Ward. No, it's, oh fuck, here we go, a train you uh, now, a note here about Ward. He was uh, about a year younger than Ruth, which is May's sister daughter. And uh, he was often described as being a half-wit, a dullard, and a bunch of other mean names in multiple records of, uh, from this time, which normally would mean, when you're reading it, that somebody is suffering from a uh, learning or developmental disability. But that did not seem to be the case. <laughs> it seems like he was just the dumbest motherfucker. <laughs> Legendarily dumb. Yeah. So dumb that people who wrote books about a cult were like, I've got to stop for a second and let you know how fucking dumb this guy was. Yeah. And here's the thing like, dumb dude, it's fine to be a dumb dude, all right? There was just, there was no place for dumb dudes at that time. If he had been born now, he could be the co host of a true crime show, all right? <laughs> just saying. He could have just shaved his head and been in like seven Fast and Furious movies today. <laughs> <laughs> Or he could be the Jersey Shore. <laughs> Just whip his shirt off, be in The Witcher, it'd be great. Morty, no. But his tendency to be a bit off and more than a little weird will definitely come into play later. So I just wanted to give you guys that note. Shortly after moving back in with her ma, 
May met and married a local singer named George Edward Blum. However, George didn't sweep her off her feet using his sick singing skills or musical talents. No, instead, May became interested in him after he fell through a hole on a construction site, uh, which took him on a two-story tumble, and then he was rewarded $3,000. Did it hurt? Did what hurt? When you fell into all that cash. Oh. <laughs> that was really good. $3,000, that's like half an ambulance ride. <laughs> that's that's $1,500 a floor. Call, wait. Call me. <laughs> I don't know how the telephones work back then. It was, it was the operator, so it happened. Oh, yeah, like, operator, yes. I've broken both of my legs. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's trying to flirt, so it'd be like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, operator? Tell him to call me. <laughs> Although... Just like every time before, the relationship didn't last long. But for the first time, it wasn't May's decision to break things off. George just wasn't that into her. In fact, after only one year together, he turned himself in for some crimes he had committed and voluntarily went to prison. And on his intake forms, he marked single. <laughs> Really hate somebody to be like, I'd rather be in prison and available. <laughs> I couldn't stand the conjugalness. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I'll just find something in here. <laughs> now, it's important to remember that while all of this shit is going down, little Ruth Wyland is coming into her own and taking all of it in as her fake mom and her sister mom just act like it's the most normal shit in the world. And suffice to say, she did not have a very typical childhood. They're just burning their way through husbands. Oh, yeah. As she moved into her late teens, Ruth Wyland was said to be absolutely gorgeous. Uh, everyone who met her described her as beautiful, charming, and able to have any man that she wanted, even if they were with somebody else. Well, in fairness, 1920s gorgeous was like, your face isn't full of pockmarks, see? <laughs> <laughs> You've still got hair. Look at that. You haven't been riddled by disease. What a catch. <laughs> in case you needed us to explain it, Ruth Wyland is uh, Lena Dunham's grandma here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> And her fake mom, Jenny, used this to her advantage by entering her in beauty pageants and dance competitions and pocketing any money that the young Ruth made. I know. Honey, boo-hoo. That's some good wordplay. I, the thing is, is like, I can't even imagine what early 1900s dance competitions were like because all I can picture is just like flappers in like Step Up where they're just like... <laughs> Yeah, see, come at me, bitch. You know? <laughs> at a pageant, like you would just walk out and be like, "Yes, my favorite toy is a train because it killed my granddaddy." Enjoy this dance. <laughs> the interviews are my favorite part of that. <laughs> And while most real moms would be horrified to find out their sister daughters were being taken advantage of, May's takeaway from the whole thing was that there was a lot of money to be made in talented children. So she used what she had made off of Monty to found the Starlight Film Company. The company funded and produced two movies, both of them starring Ruth, with mo the most famous one being a short, silent film titled A Nugget in the Rough. And Ruth played the titular Nugget. That was her character's name. Wait, are you sure it's Nugget or Nougat? Because it's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Candy bars. I didn't realize that's what you were planning from the get <laughs> Now, unfortunately, the only remaining copy of the movie was destroyed in a film reel fire, and now one of the only known frames from the movie is this one, but luckily, it does show Ruth right there. Yeah, it, it's some uh, old shit. I've tried to look up what 
Oh, I tried to look up uh, any of the other actors that were in this, and it just seems, well, obviously they're all dead. But they've also, it doesn't seem like any of them ever really amounted to anything. But, but they also awesome. still look really familiar. Like they've always been here? Yeah. <laughs> the first time I saw this, I was like, that's from The Shining, right? No. It's not the gold ballroom. It's just some random table in a warehouse somewhere. So the film was a hit, at least locally. So, so much so that May decided it was time to move to Hollywood, California, so that they could make it to the big time. And to fund her and Ruth's move, she sold the Starlight Film Company to her ex-lover, Monty Everett, who was just happy to spend any amount of money to be done with Ruth and May. Uh, so in Hollywood, May and Ruth ran into the same problem that everyone who moves there runs into, which is that Hollywood doesn't give a shit about your dreams. They are violently <laughs> indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, May couldn't find any work as a producer or an actor, and Ruth found that beautiful young women were not in short supply on the West Coast. In order to make ends meet, Ruth started working as a stripper. Although, at the time, the popular term for the job was Oriental Dancer, which, first of all, so sorry, so very sorry, immediately sorry. We didn't write it. Somebody else in the olden times did. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make any sense. The only, when I was a child, the only thing described as Oriental were rugs. That was it. And so now that's I... That's a sexy rug. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking of the rug from Aladdin doing just like a nice belly dance. Does that... <laughs> I was thinking Cleopatra rolled up in a rug, and that's the first layer you strip out of, the rug. There's a snake in my boob. <laughs> There's a snake in my boob. If you're Cleopatra, that's accurate. Well, horrifically outdated terminology aside, Ruth made great money as a dancer. She was able to work two to three shifts seven days a week and found that more than a handful of her clients were willing to pay her to feel like they had an actual relationship together. Um, oh, yeah. That's sad. It is pretty sad, but I, I mean. But also, we could be getting money for listening to you. <laughs> oh my God! If they paid me just to have a Tinder and answer dumb questions, I'd do it all day long. She was so like, much money. Ruth Weiler was like, subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> it's me, and I only have fans. She's pretty much just a topless therapist. Hell yeah. That's her job. So tell me about your wife. Is she mad that you bought the film company? <laughs> How do you feel about it? And while Ruth seemed to be having a great time, her sister mother, May, wasn't feeling quite the same. May felt useless and also kind of overshadowed by her daughter. And uh, she had fallen into a bit of a depression. And she spent most of her time at home rereading the Bible over and over again which is not the best therapy for being sad, I feel like. It's a lot of murder. It's a lot of murder. It's, it's hard to feel better when you're like, oh, man, I just really want to feel... And then they will rain fire for thousands of years. <laughs> and Methuselah sure. beget Matthew, beget Joshua, beget Geralt. You know, like, it's like that. Beget Geralt? From The Witcher? <laughs> you know what? Your guess is as good as mine. I haven't read Matthew 3 in forever. <laughs> and uh, she also got pretty involved with the group known as the Christian Science Movement. And we don't have enough time to fully go into the Christian Science Movement right now, but all you really need to know is that they are a cult of Christians who are very against modern medicine, which makes more sense for that time because your doctor was also your barber. And your dentist. And yeah. your dentist. <laughs> and sometimes your stripper. Uh, but... No, it also makes a little bit more sense when you realize that the medicine at the time was like, oh, you got a toothache? Why don't you do cocaine right now, then? <laughs> oh, is your wife all mad at you? Why don't I make her come for you? Yeah. We, it's basically most things were treated with cocaine or early vibrators, which, to be honest, I'm mad about it. <laughs> just like, so I see that your wife's having uh, problems. I've just got a couple of uh, questions. First of all, does she have any allergies? And how does she like her eggs in the morning? Fried or fertilized. <laughs> or does she like them scrambled? <laughs> I think for me, I would just be like, hi, I have cancer. And they're like, we haven't tested you. I'm like, no, I'm sure of it. 
<laughs> but the crazy rantings of the yield anti-maxers weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't picture it. I'd shave my head for that shit. If somebody was just going to constantly give you orgasms, we'd get a job. Or hair. I'd shave my eyebrows. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't what pulled May out of her funk. Instead, she was way more interested in the and so one day, May cooked out the best story she had ever written since A Nugget in the Rough. <laughs> According to her, she had a vision where she was approached by angels who proclaimed that her and her sister daughter Ruth were to be... <laughs> I love it every time. <laughs> they were to be the two witnesses foretold in the book of Revelations. This is a thing that we've heard time and time again, uh, most notably, I think, in uh, Heaven's Gate, but we've heard it quite a few other times. I also think it's interesting that uh, if anyone from my family was approached by an angel and the angel's like, you are the two witnesses from the book of Revelations, my family would be like, I ain't no witness, snitches get stitches, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who witnessed him? Who you told? <laughs> in fairness, white women love to be witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> we are here for it, okay? I got my bucket hat and I'm ready to go. Oh We're here God. to tell people what we saw and put vibrating things against our nugget in the rough. <laughs> I just realized she does look like she shaved her head and eyebrows off. <laughs> can you blame her? <laughs> you can rough my nugget any day. Until you come, Szechuan sauce? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It'd be spicy. <laughs> the angels told May that her mission was to write the best book ever written. It was going to be called The Sixth Seal, and it would allow readers to decode hidden messages in the Bible to discover the hidden locations of gold and other precious metals buried underground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's weird because like it starts off as like really like cool and awesome, but then the end of it is like, okay, guys, we're gonna find old man Jesus's gold. <laughs> I think part of it too is because this is happening right around the gold and silver rushes that I think people are like, what'll sell? Rocks. Let's do it. God can help us find rocks. I'm sure of it. And we can we can also we can all laugh about how stupid it sounds now. But you won't be laughing when you find out that they actually bought the rights to this book and turned it into the best movie ever made. <laughs> Hell yeah, Hell. I can find Jesus' rocks on the back of this menu from Burger King. <laughs> it says, drink your Ovaltine? I shall. The bees! <laughs> my favorite Nicolas Cage impression. I'm not good at it. I'm just like shouting about bees. Have you, seen, have you seen this map of the train system? The tracks actually spell out, I killed William Otis. That's a real, really deep callback to the very first lines of the show. I'm so sorry. So using the leftover money they had from various boyfriends, lovers, and husbands, May and Ruth moved back to Portland, where they still had a little bit of fame from their time on the big screen, and they were able to build up a small following. Now, their belief system in broad strokes was an ever-evolving mixture of pantheism, occult hermeticism, and Christian science. And their long, rambling lectures had a tendency to sound deep, but if you actually broke any of it down, it made zero sense. It was basically the prototype for the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We should definitely get into DMT. What's that? You'll figure it out. <laughs> they Rub CBD oil on it. That solves everything. Keeping Portland weird, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they preached about how the universe is everything and that the universe created God, who in turn created all of us. So by breaking down the true messages hidden inside of the Bible, you could actually unlock all of the universe's secrets. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that the universe works like an iPhone where you can just like look at where they type the numbers and then just find out everyone's information. I mean, who wants all that information? No, I don't. I don't I mean, even want to know how sausages get made. I don't want to know <laughs> shit. I know how sausages get made. Hasn't stopped me from eating them ever. <laughs> 
It's because you're a psychopath, and you're just like, I love the suffering. Um, I want to eat all the parts of animals and be vibrated to death. <laughs> I should probably talk to somebody. <laughs> Therapist. Once they invent a sausage vibrator, it's just over. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what men were. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> Same size and weight, too. I mean, like, yeah. Oh, my God. So, also, much like our own podcast, they focused a lot on wordplay. For example, they preached about how Shell Gasoline was obviously an evil corporation because hell was right there in the name. They're uh, not wrong, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Exactly. They also said that apples, which led to Adam and Eve's demise, were also evil for very obvious reasons. But then there were weirder ones, like uh, how olives were evil because you could rearrange the letters to spell out evil O. <laughs> the worst breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just brine? Just brine and olive bits? Yeah, if you, if you eat the evil O's, you turn into fire? You spontaneously combust? I know, these are my fears. Evil O's, part of a complete breakfast and a horrible lifestyle. <laughs> Who doesn't love all that salt in the morning? <laughs> also, uh, much like Heaven's Gate, May and Ruth kept their followers on their toes by changing their habits, schedules, and even their diets on a whim. You know, with apples and olives being banned, you basically couldn't have, like, charcuterie. But they also did other shit where, like, they... They would not eat meat for a while, and then be like, hey, I've been craving a steak, so we eat meat now. <laughs> so they put whatever they were kind of feeling. And people were like, well, a blind squirrel sometimes finds acorns, so I guess we're going to go along with it. <laughs> they would go, like, a month without eating meat, and then she'd be like, bring me the sausage vibrator! Yeah. <laughs> My name is Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> once uh once they uh the followers basically would just go along with whatever they said because they they knew that they had to keep them happy so that they could finish writing the sixth seal and once they had gathered enough members may and ruth moved their flock back down to los angeles where they used their savings and members donations to buy a small collection of houses and create a commune in simi valley they also changed their name to something with a little bit more pizzazz. The Divine Order of the Royal Arms of the Great Eleven. They're as bad at names as Heaven's Games. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I also like that it ends with the Great Eleven, which to me just makes it sound like they're a Stranger Things podcast. With all the arms, the arms of Elevens, I'm just imagining Eleven from Stranger Things, but with all the Trogdor arms. Oh. Just like attached. Just the conclave of the meeting of the organization of the Society of the Fourteen. <laughs> like, stringing names, words together. Their name's so long, it almost sounds like someone doing ASMR, right? So it's just... Or somebody just Kaiser Sozang a name in the middle of a room, just like, yeah, the royal arms... <laughs> Of the great 11. <laughs> they also, uh, <laughs> this, this, they also changed their name to this because it was a reference to the fact that May believed that after she was done writing the sixth seal, it would send Earth into an apocalyptic event. Which I don't know if that's a good thing for your book or a bad thing for your book, but. Who's gonna buy it? Piles of red fillings at your book signing? This is bad. She, she believed that after Earth was destroyed, it was going to be ruled over by 11 queens made up of her, Ruth, and nine other women. And we actually have a painting here of what she believed those 11 queens would look like. <laughs> That's Evie Oddly right there. Fuck yeah, dude. Evie and Nina, I'd sign up for that. <laughs> But things in the group really took a turn for the weird because of a small family that followed May and Ruth with complete devotion. So, while May and Ruth had been filming movies and moving back and forth from Hollywood to Portland, 
Another strange small family was gathering a lot of attention in Oregon. The Rhodes family, which was led primarily by the family's matriarch, Martha Rhodes. And they were staunch believers in the Christian science movement. So much so that Martha Rhodes believed that not only did she have the power to cure you using faith healing, but she could actually bring people back from the dead. And she claimed to have been able to do it five times, including once on herself. <laughs> Respond. Yeah. <laughs> Respond. Yeah. I, I mean, there wasn't a ton of records of how she had done it, so I just imagine that she was biting people to transfer the infection so that when they died, they come back. I mean, we've seen the mummy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. She's just the Scorpion Queen. Oh. Andre has been making me watch a lot of true, uh, not true. What is True Blood? True Blood. Oh yeah. So I'd like to believe that like the only people that can make you come back from the dead just have like sweet fucking abs. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, dude. God, everyone in that show is so beautiful. Um, <laughs> But the family's air of mystery made them the perfect family to keep a town secret. Because in 1913, one of the sons of Klamath Falls' richest families had accidentally knocked up his girlfriend. But the upper-class family decided that their son's baby mama-to-be wasn't good enough to marry into the family. So instead, they arranged for her to have the child in secret and then have the child sent to live with the Rhodes family. And so, later that year, the Rhodes family welcomed the newest member of their strange little group. Secret baby man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll go. I'll just crawl under you. They welcomed in Willa Rhodes. In 1924, when Willa was 11 years old, the Rhodes family decided to move out to Los Angeles to join the Great Eleven. They had been on-again, off-again members of the group uh, for a long time now, but for whatever reason, they decided that now was the time to go all in. When May met Willa, she was absolutely enamored. She immediately claimed that Willa was to be one of the 11 queens, and she gave her one hell of a welcoming present, seven puppies that she named Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, and Ti. And I didn't know that da wasn't the end of that sentence until right until earlier this morning. We we had to inform him about the tonal scale, which is weird because he does our sounds. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But if you've listened to this podcast, you know that me and Andrea are pretty fucking tone deaf. So. <laughs> I do want to note this is Willa right here. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave her. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been gifted an animal, but it's a lot of responsibility. And they gave her seven puppies. And she's yeah. 11 years old. Yes. A better name for those puppies would have been Ward for a great. Now I gotta fucking do it. Gotta buy food for all seven? Also, if you better can... get some husbands. <laughs> or at least some brother husbands. So. If you couldn't tell by May's baller-ass gift, things were going well for the Great Eleven. After convincing a couple of oil magnates, which I also just realized is not pronounced oil magnets. Uh, <laughs> Fucking magnets, how do they work? <laughs> by oppressing the working class. <laughs> uh, after attracting a couple oil magnates to join the group, May and Ruth had enough funds to do whatever the fuck they wanted. And mostly they spent their new loads of cash on houses and land, but they also bought some other baller-ass shit, like a giant gold throne that they nicknamed the Lord's Furniture. <laughs> That's the coolest fucking thing I've ever heard. Also, I've seen Indiana Jones, and I know the Lord's Furniture is actually the crusty old futon, like, tucked in the back. Yeah, this is the cup of a carpenter. <laughs> this is the crust of the Lord. The reason it's the Lord's Furniture was because only certain people were allowed to sit on it. So it's kind of like having dad's chair, except dad is God. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, is it just like the queens could sit in it? Yeah, the queens would occasionally sit in it, uh, and it was huge. It weighed about 2,000 pounds. Do you like call shotgun, or how do you decide? <laughs> there's only one chair, there's 11 queens. Is it like the worst game of... <laughs> it would have mostly been May, uh, who was referred to as mother by everyone, including her own mother. So... Weird. Weird. Yeah. Apparently, she also got the remotes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't I don't know about anyone in here, but if I had enough money to buy a gold throne, I'd definitely make it my toilet, right? Is that just me? No? Yeah? I or, think so, because we have a pink toilet in the Airbnb, and I'm feeling that oh, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to feel like a king when I shit. By that, I mean dying slowly <laughs> from the inside. From eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Exactly. Like the king. Uh, but no, what no one seemed to know is that behind the scenes, things were going and getting really fucking weird. And I mean that weird after all of the shit that we've told you about so far. Uh, that wasn't the weird part. <laughs> no. So it, it all kind of started to get weird with May's latest choice for a lover. Because for a while now, May had started knocking boots with her own stepbrother, Ward Blackburn. Yeah. Yikes. So this let's is just, a whole genre of porn in the making. Let's just fix this a little bit. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I never thought I'd see that logo blown up here. Do you think this is the first time this logo's been in this theater? <laughs> Probably not. So as we mentioned earlier, Ward had always been a bit of an odd duck, but his kooky antics really skyrocketed after spending a bunch of time around May. He started slicking his hair back, he started trimming his eyebrows real thin, and then he grew a Fu Manchu mustache that went several inches past his chin. Okay. Despite being horrendously white, uh, Ward tried to look as much like an Eastern mystic as possible so that he could give the group a mysterious vibe. I don't understand it either. You're looking at me like I got the answers and I don't. He, he did a bunch of weird shit. He did stuff that like he apparently attributed to Asia, like not showering or, or changing your clothes ever, which is not only racist, but it's like, I think you just wanted to do that. Yeah. <laughs> this is just your reason for doing it. Yeah. That's not an Asian thing. That's a white people who get into Asian culture thing. Did he also... Bam! Roasted! <laughs> Did he also move his mouth a lot extra? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, Ruth's choices weren't much better either. She spent most of her time seducing anyone and everyone that she wanted. Bow, bow, bow. You'll do. There we go. <laughs> No, she 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 would use fucking as like a punishment, and not a punishment for whoever she's fucking. That would be weird, right? Um, actually, okay, that's the last one. Wear acrylics, and I'm gonna use them. That was just a joke for people who watch old porn. Sorry. She would do this shit where, like, if she felt disobeyed, she would just be like, "Oh yeah, well, guess who's gonna fuck your husband?" And they didn't. They didn't. I don't know if they just didn't believe in free will or something, because then just some poor guy was like, oh no. <laughs> I guess I have to. They have this cabin with a bunch of date and dancing naked girls and a bear suit, and I I mean, you can't not do it. Yeah, and it was it was very, very, very easy to disobey Ruth because she was on some like next level power trip shit where one of the things that she wanted to do at one point for almost no reason at all was she convinced one of her followers to let her shoot them in the foot. For fun. For because fun. she wanted to shoot someone in the foot. That was just... Yeah. She just wanted to feel like what it would feel like and then I guess... The whole plan originally was she was like, I'm going to shoot you in the foot, and then I'm going to use my magic to cure it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going that, great. That guy made that decision and then looked down and went, ah, I really shot myself in the foot on this one. <laughs> you didn't see it coming? I'm sorry. Eventually, though, she did meet somebody that she couldn't trap with the promise of love. She met the 17-year-old Samuel Rizzo. And right from the jump, Samuel did not fit in with the group. He was very young, uh, he was very hot-headed, and uh, he had a criminal past. So what you're saying is Italian? Yeah. <laughs> what? I think he was Italian, he was. right? Yeah, 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 he was super Italian. Sounds like you had a hot-headed and criminal past. <laughs> 
This is your, yeah, what, what did you say? This is your future husband. This is my future husband. I'm so sorry, babe. I, uh, I also don't like witnesses. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the weird thing about it was is that it's not that Samuel Rizzo wasn't liked by the cult. Samuel Rizzo thought the cult was creepy and off-putting. Which means that this guy was so, he was the only one who went in, looked at it, and was like, nah, that shit fucked up, dude. You shot a guy in the foot. That's weird. Why did you do that? You're still hot, and I'm still smashed, so this is not for me. <laughs> Eventually, he gave Ruth an ultimatum, which was either leave the cult or leave him. And when Ruth chose the cult, he responded by hitting her. Oh, yeah. God. Not, yeah, not at all. And when May found out, she enlisted the help of a follower who worked as a pharmacist to concoct a poison to kill Samuel. Jesus. Thankfully, uh, when you're trying to plan a murder, you don't want to tell people that you're planning a murder. <laughs> so she came up with a great cover story. Her, her plan, what she told the pharmacist, was that she was going to use the poison to put it in a drink to kill Samuel <laughs> and then bring him back from the dead. And this is probably somebody who saw that guy got shot in the foot and was like, I know how this shit pans out. That's not, that's, you're not going to bring anyone back. Like, I agree that he's a chef boy or douche, but I'm not going to worry about this. So she 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 exactly yeah uh, she's gonna be sleeping with the fishes. So um, she she said that she had learned this skill, this new skill, to bring people back from the dead from Martha Rhodes, uh, the the mother of Willa Rhodes. But luckily for us, the pharmacist heard this story and was like, "Yeah, none of that shit makes any sense." So I'm just gonna put some food coloring in some water and tell you that it's poison. He just made, like, green goop and was like, there you go. And then he got the fuck out of Dodge. He was like, I'm done with this cult. But you also told me that... Yeah, so the, the pharmacist, it's uh, a woman, which was very unusual for Damn, the time. Damn, I'm hella sexist. It's all good. And it was her and her husband owned a pharmacy together. So she mixed the colored water. But then she had to fill a prescription for chloroform, which was entirely legal at the time. So, like, they gave him colored water and chloroform so i think at a certain point they definitely tried to avoid poisoning him but they did probably help make him unconscious that is fair and, and poison or no poison um samuel rizzo disappeared and was never heard from again oh my god he became the cult's first victim but he wasn't going to be the last there was also the story of Francis, a member of the cult who was paralyzed, unable to speak, and suffered from chronic pain. And claiming that they knew how to heal her, May and Ruth directed other followers to build a large brick oven that they placed Francis inside for hours, where she slowly burned to death. Although her passing was reported to authorities as just being natural causes. Because naturally, if you get put in an oven, <laughs> yeah. you're going to die. The, the, the oven is natural causes. Unnatural causes is cooking her in a microwave. Yeah. That is <laughs> disgusting. I was one of them, the same cure. Like, they're like, we could kill, cure your illness or make a great pizza. <laughs> what? <laughs> they did have to dismantle the oven afterwards, and people were really upset because they were kind of excited to have a giant oven, but I was like... Do you but, think? Do you okay, think, but it's a murder oven. Like, what do you, <laughs> why? One body. We can still use it, right? No. Two things. First of all, murder oven. Great name for a new restaurant. Great name for a band. Yeah. yeah, yeah murder oven. We are murder oven. We are here to make our parents sad. <laughs> Second thing is, do you think while she was dying, Samuel Rizzo was at the bottom of the lake going, just like, You're cooking it wrong! <laughs> you should have sous vide it! <laughs> Sorry, that was a food joke. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep the meat tender. Okay, that's... Husbands? Wait, sorry. <laughs> Are we back on the cheese grater? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I respect 
strength, but... <laughs> and then finally, and possibly most infamously, there was the death of Willa Rose. In December of 1929, Willa developed a toothache, something that normally wouldn't be a problem, because back in the day, you'd go to the doctor and then just do a whole fucking bunch of cocaine, and then uh, I guess it'd go away eventually. I don't really know how teeth work. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately... That's not the case if you come from a Christian science movement background and you will reject any amount of modern medicine. So instead, the toothache turned into an ulcer, and by New Year's, Willa Rhodes had died of a horrific infection. May, Ruth, and Willa's own mother, Martha Rhodes, all tried rituals that they could, they thought would bring her back to life, but nothing worked. And instead of giving up, they decided to keep trying until they succeeded. Which I get, like, yeah, you know, if at first you don't succeed, dude, get rid of the body, please. <laughs> uh, what they did was they built a compartment underneath the Rhodes house that they filled with 200 to 600 pounds of ice every day in an attempt to keep Willa's body fresh. And these were Holy ice shit. deliveries. They would have deliveries of two to 600 pounds of ice every day. At a time when ice wasn't, like, around. Yeah, so I'm from Wisconsin, and the way that you used to get ice is in the winter, the lakes, the Great Lakes would freeze over, and they would take big draft horses and giant saws. They'd walk onto a frozen lake, cut the biggest piece of ice that they could haul out, put it on trains, and transport it on not refrigerated cars because refrigeration didn't exist yet. They would just be well insulated like box cars. So they're hauling in box cars full of ice to put this body onto. That's probably where most of their budget is going. Like they're I, getting it frozen? Yeah. <laughs> Disney knew what was up. <laughs> it's so expensive. I know. They're so dumb. They could have just gone down to the 7-Eleven, got a couple banks for real cheap. Uh, <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Uh, they also, in order to make sure that she didn't miss out on living her life, to make sure that a dead person didn't miss out on living their life, they did a whole bunch of weird shit with her dead body, like killing the seven puppies May had once gifted her. I knew that was going to be the worst one. I know. <laughs> I've, I've gone through three murders, and you were like, puppies, no! <laughs> if it makes you feel any better. According to Jenny, the puppies died from eating too much cheese. That's not possible. Right? Delicious way to go. I don't know that it's possible to die from cheese. I'm gonna try. <laughs> but allegedly, that's how they killed the puppies. And specifically, it was white cheese, which is great. So. What's that? Is yeah. that white cheese? Or white cheddar. Oh, Technically, probably... all cheese is white until you add chemicals and dyes. Just. Whatever. Yeah. I, did, I did like that when you said uh, specifically she died or they died from eating cheese. I watched like five of your faces being like, is that possible? <laughs> find out. I'm gonna find out. Uh, they also did this thing supposedly where uh, they took her body out for car rides all around Los Angeles. Which as a treat. As a treat. <laughs> And I don't know if any of you guys know this, but back in the day, they didn't have, like, air conditioning. So what they used to do was during the winter, they would go out and they would just grab all the cold air and then they would put that on a train. And like, <laughs> <laughs> they, the, the, the rumors of her taking car rides are debated hotly. Because people don't think that they could have put her in a sitting position because of the rigor mortis. Oh. So either she was stored in a sitting position or they were just propping her up straight. But we know that at least once she was transported in a car as a passenger. Oh, after, yeah. after dying. And they don't they don't have any pictures of it. Uh, obviously, <laughs> although it would have been easy because they would have been like, okay, get a picture of her, and she was just like. <laughs> Hold still. <laughs> Hold still. Can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. So this uh, is the last scene of The Shining. Yes, exactly. 
Uh, they might have gotten away with all of this bullshit if they had just written the fucking book they planned on writing. Because remember, the reason that anyone is putting up with any of this dumb shit is because they think at the end of it they're going to get this great fucking book that's going to reveal the secrets of everything. But they never did it. And so eventually what happened was their rich investors got just beyond upset and one of those oil magnates that we mentioned earlier sued May and Ruth, claiming to have been duped out of $50,000, which at the time was like, what, we checked it, it was like a million bucks almost, right? It, it was more than a million. It was it was basically a few million. Jeez. And at the time, a lot of stuff is cheaper, so it was bankrolling the bulk of the cult, and any jobs that the cult members worked, all that money also went into it. So they had fuck tons of money. Yeah. And much like rappers do today, they were spending most of it on ice. Hey, hey. oh, 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 let's just stop. Shit, now I look like a douche. All right. uh, and so what ended up happening was the authorities agreed to investigate his claims, and it wasn't long before they noticed a string of mysterious disappearances in the wake of the cult. Um, and when they started looking into the shit, it didn't take very long for them to find dead bodies under the Rhodes family home. And uh, unfortunately, Willa's death was ruled as natural causes. Or fortunately, because at least we know that they didn't burn her alive in a fucking oven. But um, they also couldn't link or directly link May to any of the other missing persons. Instead, they charged May with 12 counts of grand theft and afterwards she was sentenced to prison time, ordered to return the bulk of her saving, and also forced to return the Lord's furniture. <laughs> Which to be the repo man on that day, just be like, oh, fuck you guys, fuck you, so hard. like four ramps, shit. <laughs> okay, I get it, it's the Lord's furniture, do you got a, the Lord's ramp over here? Hey. Does the Lord have a dolly or a hand truck? <laughs> <laughs> the sixth seal was never written, May Otis Blackburn died of heart failure on June 17, 1951. Allegedly from eating too much cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and Ruth tried to take over the cult and move the remaining flock to Lake Tahoe, but the Great Eleven had almost completely fizzled out by the time she died in 1960. And now they say, when you see dew on the Great Lake Tahoe, if you listen closely between taking body shots with your best friend Marissa, you can still hear the whispers of the crazy bullshit that May told her followers. And if, if you listen even closer, you might be able to hear some of the loved ones that she left behind. And that brings us to the end of our episode on the Black Bird Cult. Oh. Thank you so much. Jesus Christ, this was a hell of a thing to do. Uh, we, so the way that we did this was that Paige did a bulk of the research, almost all of the research, and they gave it to me, and then I did it, and then we had Andrea Photoshop like three images together. <laughs> um, you can tell which ones she Photoshopped because they're like Thomas the Tank Engine, and they look fucking awesome, and then you can tell which ones at three in the morning last night, I was like, this is going to be fucking great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's these groups are just so fucking insane when they just do, they just do the wildest shit. I have no idea how they just I don't know, man. I can't. Okay, this is gonna get weirdly political for like two seconds. But like, I don't understand how they were able to just like keep a dead body in the in the bottom of a house and like kill seven puppies and just like take her out on rides and buy like 600 pounds of ice and then like the other week I tried to smoke a joint outside of my house and a cop was like hey do you belong here <laughs> I just don't understand it that shit sucks man you do understand it and the answer is white women <laughs> remember That's we're funny. witnesses <laughs> and the main investors in the sausage vibrator <laughs> We've had so much fun with y'all today. Thank you guys for um, coming. Thank this you is so awesome. much. We do have sausage vibrators available in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Are you wearing a full Jimmy John's uniform? That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what you guys work across the street or no, at a different I, I, I worked at uh, Lethal West for about three years and then uh, one in Manhattan for 
Thank you Thank so you much. So much. We love you. Bye. 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 B